Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Welcome to Grape Top Church. I'm glad everyone is able to be here today. Welcome to you online. Um, today, we are starting a new series. Our new series is called Loyal, Loyal Series. And we're going to be looking at the book of Ruth throughout this, uh, the rest of this month. This is going to be a three-part s- series. And today, as we begin the series, I originally thought that we were going to be able to look through the first couple chapters. But just within this first chapter, there is so much content in the book of Ruth for us to look at loyalty. And today's title is Even When It Hurts. Even When It Hurts. I think that um, when it comes to loyalty, it I feel like it's a word that isn't used that much in in our generation that anymore. Um, and the times that we do hear about loyalty, it's almost like it has like these weird connotations to it. Uh, for some of us, when we think about loyalty, you think of like a psycho <laughs> that's like demanding you to be loyal, or you think of um, you think of maybe like a judgmental relationship that you've had and where it's just like this weird mixed emotion of, um, of hesitant commitment. But true authentic loyalty is, is, a, is a, one of the most powerful virtues and aspects of our world. And as we look through the book of Ruth, um, I want us to really look at how the idea of someone being loyal, even when it hurts, even when it hurts. Maybe you're thinking right now, times in your life where someone was even loyal to you and you saw the sacrifice, or even more, times where you were loyal to someone or something, even when it hurt you. I think a quickest glance that we can look at, at loyalty is with kids. Most people, not all people, are loyal to their kids to the point where it hurts, to where they will sacrifice their own meal in order for their kids to eat. They will, they will uh, sacrifice their budget and buy things that they can't even afford so that their kids could have something that they never had. That, that's a type of loyalty even when it hurts. And we're going to really unpack this idea of loyalty and why anyone in the world would want to be loyal to that point to where, even when it hurt them. So first... Our first point is better you than me. Better you than me. And we're going to be p- pulling out of Scripture from the, this first chapter in Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to reside in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Noemi. And the names of his two sons was, were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. So they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Emelech, Noemi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. 
and they lived there about 10 years. Then both Mahlan and Chilion also died, and the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Oh, sorry, I left you guys in the dust right there. <laughs> so this first point about better you than me, I want us to grasp the idea that loyalty is most clearly seen in the midst of hardship. For a lot of us during this last year going through this pandemic, we what, what rose to the top were things hidden in people's hearts that were always there. See, chaos doesn't create new things in our lives or new things in our hearts. It doesn't, it, it, all it does is bring about what was always there. For some, it was deep fear that rose to the top. That fear wasn't something new, it was something that was highlighted during chaos. For others, it was a, it was a confidence, it was uh, taking care of their family. It was all these virtues rose to the top. And when it's in the midst of hardship, Loyalty is most clearly seen. Think about the people during the beginning of the pandemic or think about the people even during the snowstorm that messaged you, that checked to see if you're okay. Those, those are signs of loyalty. When something hard is happening and people reach out to you, you see those who are truly loyal to you. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And whenever someone is absent during that time of hardship, it's a clear sign that they are not as loyal as you might have thought, right? And I want us to look at these two men in this story, or these three men. It's a peculiar instance that within this first chapter, we learn about this family and all three men died before the women. It's not like a common thing to happen where all three men die, leaving their wives and the mom. And it, but it was all during a severe famine. I want us to really try to imagine the situation in this story unfolding. I've read this story plenty of times, over a dozen times. And when I read it this time, I, I looked at these people as part of the story rather than just looking for where I would see Ruth. And we see that these men all died, and I think that shows a very clear probability. I believe it was because of a, the sacrificial aptitudes and decisions of these men that caused them to die before their wives and their mother. Again, this is a famine happening in the land. Food and water, the resources they need to live, are in such lack that the whole, the whole land, everyone is in lack. Everyone is in the negative. Everyone is suffering. And for these men, as they're working, as they're gathering, as they're hunting, what I see is that they would give the, the, the women of their lives the best of their resources, the best of the food, before they would even eat their own. It makes me think about a, a, missionary, that, um, a missionary that was in Africa years ago, uh, a generation before ours, where she was sent there by... Uh, by the ministry and she was a, uh, a missionary and she was there for years and eventually she died from starvation in, in the village that she was serving in Africa as she was teaching about Jesus and and uh, and helping all the the people there and she was she died from starvation the peculiar thing is that the church actually provided food 
and and the money that she needed. They supported her a hundred percent to be able to have all the food and water and resources that she needed to live. But what she would do is that she would give her food to the kids there. She would give her food, her water to the children around. She she didn't feel right having everything she needed while they still had nothing. To the point where she literally died of starvation while having all the food she needed. See, this is, a, this is what I see happening in this story. These men giving the best of what they had to their wives and to their mother. And I, when I think about the, the emotions at play in this story, they laid a foundation of loyalty in the lives of these women that would impact them for the rest of their lives. Ruth is known as, she's literally known as being one of the most loyal people in the Bible. And for, for most of us, when we just think about Ruth, it's just a natural thing within her. But what I believe is that she got it from her husband. She learned it because she saw it practiced before her. He set an example. And in our world, when we look at the idea of sacrifice, sacrifice, we have taken personal sacrifice out of our culture and our way of life. When, the only times that we think about sacrifice is when we're benefiting ourselves. Go to the gym and I'm sacrificing to, to get a better body. Go, put on my diet, I'm sacrificing. I'm, I'm cutting my budget now so I could get myself something. Our idea of sacrifice is so self-focused. And we've been, been conditioned to excessively please and serve ourselves. So where the idea of sacrifice for others is, is almost like a foreign thought when practiced. Even our modern forms of generosity. Think about the most common ways that people find themselves to be generous. Is usually simply paying for a service or product where the extra $3 or so goes to help feeding kids over in some other country. That's our form of generosity. Like, oh, well, if you just round up, you can give 50 cents to St. Jude's Hospital. Okay, yeah, go ahead. I'm a good person today. See, that, that, do you see how even that form of generosity is, is more so a convenient form of mildly generous? <laughs> and it, it's more so just paying extra what you're already purchasing. It wasn't even a thought before you, you were going to buy it. You're just like, that would be nice. See, there's no real idea of sacrifice in our culture. And what, why do we do those things in those moments? Is because it makes us feel like a good person at that time. Yeah, I'll give my leftovers to this homeless guy here. I wasn't going to eat him anyway. You get how all of these things are just out of the excess that we have and we, we label it as being generous when there's no sacrifice needed. The first, when it comes to sacrifice, it's really the, the idea of putting others before yourself. And what we see in these men is that they truly put their wives and their mom before themselves. The father died first. I mean, don't you see how clear of an image this shows how a family dynamic should work? 
The father died first. Why? Because he was giving not only his wife, but to his sons too, the best of the food, the best of the resources, until he eventually died. And then it says, the sons, says that they were married to their wives for 10 years until they died. I've been married for eight going on nine. And so the thought of 10 years, it's this famine is, is, is being talked about in this story. You know, what we're seeing is this, this role of the sons being transformed in, once their father dies to where they go from being the kids to being the men of the house. And they're doing, they, their father set the example for them to sacrifice, to, to give everything that they got for, for their family. And the first level of sacrifice is putting others' needs before your own. That's a first level of sacrifice, putting others' needs before your own. The, while a maximized level of sacrifice is giving up the needs that you already have, giving up your needs in order for others to have their needs met. Y'all get what I'm saying? It's a, it's, a, it's a maximized level of sacrifice. Both are sacrifices, but what I'm getting at is that when we go through hardships, those are the moments where we see sacrifice necessary. When life is normal, that idea of sacrifice uh, isn't, isn't always needed. We don't have to make synthetic forms of, of trials. We don't have to make a synthetic form of hardship in order to produce sacrifice. But the, when the moment comes, sacrifice is what reveals authentic loyalty. Y'all feel me? And it's about what we're willing to sacrifice. What we're willing to sacrifice that shows the level of loyalty that we have for whoever it is that we're being loyal to whatever principle we're being loyal to, whatever idea or belief or position we're being loyal to. When you think about a job, the moment that it starts requesting sacrifice, let's say staying late, who wants to, who wants to work overtime? <laughs> or who, who wants to do extra? And typically, the level of sacrifice among the workers is, is pretty minimal. There's only a couple uh, butt kissers, right? That say, I'll do it. <laughs> but it's usually because most bosses, most managers, and most workplaces is just a place where we work. It's not a place that we're loyal to. It's not a place that we want to give sacrifice to. Y'all feel what I'm saying? Let's, let's look at this, this next idea. You don't have to. We learn about sacrifice. We saw how these men laid an example and display of authentic loyalty to their family by what they were willing to sacrifice. Now let's look at you don't have to. Continuing on in Ruth chapter 10 verses 8, it says, but uh, further down in the story it says, but Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to your mother's house. Now just give you a background to the verses that we skipped. After all the men died, Naomi said, I'm going to go back to my homeland in Judah, Bethlehem. I'm going to go back home. And there's rumors that there was, there was no famine there, that there was food. And so she said, I'm going to just go back home. And so as they're traveling, she tells her daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And may the Lord grant you... 
uh, grant that you may find a place of rest, each one in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they raised their voices and wept. However, they said to her, No, but we will return with you and to your people. But Noemi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that you may be that may be they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said if I said I have hope, if I were even to have a husband tonight and also give birth to sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is much more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has come out against me. We foster authentic loyalty when we allow people to choose. We foster authentic loyalty when we allow people to choose. What's happening in the story is that she's going back home, and in this culture, they, they, they not only in their culture are they, uh, are they culturally bound to the mother-in-law because they're, they're in-laws, and it's like they become family with her, but... Also, they in this story they recognize the sacrifice of of her sons. I mean, think about the conversations that they've had in the last year, the last month, moments of their husbands' lives. Please take care of my mom. Could you imagine those kind of conversations? Please take care of her. She's not going to have anyone once we die. You get what I'm saying? And so they're the reason that they're following her is not only a culture issue, but because of the, the connection that they had with their husbands. And they, they're trying to be loyal to even their dead husbands by going and taking care of their mom so that she didn't have to go into this, this bleak, unknown future alone. And even as they're trying to show loyalty to her and to their, their husbands that have passed, Naomi shows an even deeper loyalty by giving the, them the freedom to choose for themselves. She's literally releasing them saying, look, I know all of your promises. I really, I love you. And I appreciate how faithful you were to my sons. But I'm going into a very unclear future. And my, I'm, I'm older now. I'm not going to remarry. I'm going to be alone. And, and in this culture too, it wasn't just, it wasn't like there's a, a, a workforce commission for her to go to as a woman. That it was a very traditional uh, way of life to where, where men would take care of their families. And there wasn't just a plethora of work for the women besides, by, besides uh, begging, knitting, like making clothes, or, or prostitution. And she's simply saying, my, like, my life is over. I'm going, it's only going only to be an uphill battle for the rest of my life because of the way God has dealt with my life. That's what she's saying. And so she's releasing them. And saying, uh, I really appreciate you. I love you. Thank you for even just walking with me this far. But it's going to be a bitter road from here. And there's still hope for you. There's still hope for you. You have a chance at a better life. You don't have to follow me. Because there's not, she's saying there's not a chance for me. But there is a chance for you. And the, the, the loyalty that is happening in this, this back and forth, just within this first couple of verses... Is, is so potent from the sons to, to the father, to these daughter-in-laws, and now to the mother, we see this just like this you-don't-have-to heart within the midst of all these loyal, sacrificial decisions going on. And 
this freedom that she's offering to them is releasing them from any prior commitments, from any prior promises, and saying you can just start fresh. And this kind of loyalty is almost earned while at the same time tested by the practice of freedom. Freedom uh, is freedom. This idea is freedom of choice earns loyalty while at the same time tests loyalty. And it is a fear that leads us to cling tightly to the things and people that we don't want to leave. It's a fear that they'll actually leave if we give them that freedom, if we give them that choice that causes us to cling really tight. And it's usually that fear that inevitably drives people away. Y'all dig what I'm saying? A clingy relationship. One person doesn't want you to go anywhere without them. They don't, they don't want you to leave them for any moment because they're afraid you're going to leave or find something better. And that clinginess inevitably pushes people away because people have this innate nature of wanting freedom, the freedom to choose. And this, this loyalty that she's offering, whether it's relationships, whether it's families, and let me be clear, talking about families, there's a difference when it comes to raising kids and uh, and the idea of them being freedom to having the freedom to choose. When it's parenting minors, they they need your guidance. They need strict <laughs> they need strict uh, boundaries because they don't know what what they don't know. They they need support. When you're growing plants, when plants are young, they need supports to hold them up straight, or they'll grow in any any crooked path that leads them. Y'all get what I'm saying? So don't don't take this idea that, oh, well, I want my kids to be loyal to me, so I'll give them the freedom to choose. They need parenting. They need guidance. That is a form of love to, to show your parents guidance, your, your children guidance and discipline. But when it comes to other relationships, when it comes to businesses, when it comes to politics, when it comes to God, or especially churches, Freedom can either be what strengthens the seeds of loyalty that have already been planted or reveal the seeds of disloyalty or the seeds of disconnection that have already begun to grow. Either way, freedom should be fostered. I want us to take a moment to look at church. Churches can be either really great or really weird. And I don't know if it's like a culture thing of different churches that I've experienced, but what I... What I've seen when people have gotten really, when people start getting that loyalty to a church where it's like, this is my home church, and they start going for a while, what they often experience is this moment where freedom is tested to the point where um, spiritual leaders, pastors, whoever, have tried to cling tightly to people to not be able to give them a freedom to choose to the point where it just feels crazy. I once heard of uh, this guy I, I knew from church. I hadn't talked to him for a couple years. He ended up going to a different church and started feeling just kind of like overlooked more and more, was volunteering a lot, and then eventually um, just got connected with some other ministers with other churches, and he felt like this big you know, tearing of his heart. He's like, well, I've always been here, but I feel so much better connected over here. And, and so after a lot of thought and prayer, he ended up going to the pastor and saying, Hey, 
Um, I just want to let you know that um, I've been praying about it, and I think I'm going to be going to this other church. And I mean, that's what a what a great you know way to show their like last like stand of loyalty, saying like, hey, I want to give you the respect to tell you and talk to you. And the pastor said, oh, you don't need to do that. That's witchcraft. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's witchcraft. The devil is telling you to go to another church. Got real weird real quick. <laughs> and see, the pastor was trying to cling tightly to this, this young man and didn't want to give him the freedom to choose. And luckily, this, this young guy had the sense to say, well, was it witchcraft when I chose to come to your church instead? <laughs> Apparently not, right? It was choosing that church, no, but to go to another church, yes. But what I'm getting at is that church has become an uh, unsafe place for so many people because of the lack of freedom in our churches. You have to do it this way or you're disloyal. You have to come this way. You have to come this often. You have to be this kind of image of a person or you're not a right fit. You have to or blah, blah, blah. Y'all get what I'm saying? But having the freedom to choose is what fosters authentic loyalty to where people don't even want to go to another church when they feel the freedom that they could. Y'all dig that? And now looking at it, that same avenue, I want us to, to look in all these other avenues when it comes to our families, when it comes to our spouses, when it comes to, um, when it comes to God. This idea about having freedom, I think the fact that God has given us free will, that is, that is the most like the epitome of freedom. Think about everything that God created and the, one of the innate natures that he gave us that made him us like him. That it says in Genesis that he made us, mankind in his likeness, was the freedom of choice, free will. To know that God... Even, even after sending his son to die on the cross for the world's sin, doesn't force us into heaven, but gives us a choice. Is, is that not the epitome of free will? That he doesn't, force, he doesn't force any one of us to spend eternity with him. And, and now, after everything that we, we learn about God, the more that we see him, the more that we learn about him, the more we realize that that loyalty fosters where it's like, I'll, I'll do anything for my Savior. That loyalty has grown so much to where people are martyred for Christ because that loyalty has been fostered out of the freedom God has given us. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And so, you don't have to. I shared last week that I, I once told my wife, you know, I, I don't have to be with you just because we're married, just because we're Christians and I don't want to get a divorce. I, I don't have to stay with you but I want to. And she looked back at me and said, no, you have to. <laughs> you don't have to. Now, finally, our last point is no turning back. No turning back. We've talked about sacrifice. We've talked about freedom. And no turning back, I want us to look at commitment. Now we're going to look at the, this part of the story where one of the, the daughter-in-law's so uh, after she said, no, we're gonna, they both said, we're going to stay with you. And Noemi said, look, it's really, really nice, but it's all, it's, it's all gone from here. You don't want to stay with me. 
I'm not going to have any more kids. You, there's nothing left for me. Why bind yourself to it to a dead horse? And one of the daughter-in-laws says, weeps and cries and says, okay, bye. <laughs> and she's probably walking. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> like, man, that was a that was a close one. But then look at what Ruth says. But Ruth said, do not plead with me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you sleep, I will sleep. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and worse, if anything but death separates me from you. That's a powerful, powerful declaration she made, a powerful commitment she made. You may even recognize some of these little uh, phrases in wedding vows. This is where most wedding vows are pulled from. Till death, till, uh, till death separates you. I mean, this is like the epitome of commitment. And I want us, I want us to just understand something that a commitment a committed loyalty has no plan B. A committed loyalty has no plan B. It's either this way or it's not going to work. She says, I'm either going to walk with you or I'm going to die. And I want us to unpack the emotions of Ruth for a second here. Because usually at this, I feel like the only way I've ever heard this story taught is that Ruth is just a really nice gal. She's just, she's just a committed person. She's just a loyal person. I want us to look at the background of her story that we just read through. She saw this woman's husband, the original father of the two sons, she saw him sacrifice everything to the point of death for them to live. She then saw her husband and her brother-in-law sacrifice everything to the point of death. I want you to just really try to imagine yourself in a kind of scenario like that, would you not just feel so bound and committed to something or someone that was willing to sacrifice so much for you, for you to live? That's why I have such amazing respect for our servicemen and women. They, they literally give up their lives, not even the point of death. I'm not talking about like, oh, well, they lay down their lives for, for our freedom, for our country. I'm talking about when you join the military, it's not just like, oh, if I die, then I gave my life for the military. You give your life <laughs> to the military, and it is a sacrifice. It, it, your whole way of life now becomes bound to the military. Your kids are now military kids. Your, your spouse is a military spouse. And it is a, it's a large commitment to where at any drop of the hat, you, you're called by the government, by whatever, to go here, there, without any say-so. It's, it's a huge level of commitment, very similar to this verse. And it makes a respect come out of me to where, how could I show any disrespect to, to anyone in the military after knowing that just their lifestyle is sacrificed for me? For me growing up, I had a lot of people show their love to me. When I was when I was sleeping outside, when I was growing up as a teenager and I was a punk kid, doing all kinds of uh, mischief, crimes, being violent, stealing, doing drugs, there are certain families that, that would rise up and see this troubled young kid that was 
had no guidance, had, had no support, and they would reach out and sacrifice for me. And I remember those moments. I was cognitive the times where fa- parents of my friends would let me stay at their house for months at a time. I would, I would uh, halfway temporarily move in with families. I think about my sister when, when she took me in and knowing that she didn't have to. I think about um, my dad's ex-wife when she took me in for my senior year of high school and I stayed with her for a year and the whole time I thought she didn't have to take me in. She didn't have to do this. She has no obligation. And see, for me, when I think about this idea of loyalty, I have these points of reference in my story where I can look and see the sacrifice that was made for me that births commitment. Y'all get what I'm saying? And I want you to think about what, what it is for you. What has been sacrificed for you that you can look at in your life and say, I can commit to them. I can commit to that because of the loyalty that is just birthed from the sacrifice and freedom that they gave you. You get what I'm saying? For Ruth, her story is so deep. I mean, when it says that they are weeping, it's not just because, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do from here. Or like, oh, well, women cry a lot, right? Like, no, this is, this is a deep, empathetic moment to where all of their past experiences, the deaths and mourning and grieving, the hardships, the hunger that they all experience is at this moment. And she says, I'm not going anywhere. We've been through too much together. And when my husband asked me to, to walk with you after he died to, to, to take care of you, I'm going to do it till death separates us. I mean, I see so much loyalty to her, her, her past husband in this scenario. And it, there's so much, just so much emotions where it's like we can't even articulate it. You can only feel it. You dig what I'm saying? And now... When it comes to commitment and this loyalty, having no plan B, you can either be loyal to a principle, a position, or a person. A principle is like, uh, like a virtue, not like not stealing. You could be loyal to that. Being honest, you could be loyal to that kind of principle, that kind of integrity. Um, you can be loyal to a position. You know, in churchianity, even when a pastor sounds crazy, people are loyal to the position of the pastor. Just because of the spiritual authority that a pastor has, people show respect for, for men and women that are in spiritual roles, even when they don't like the person. Or you could be loyal to a political position. Or you could be loyal to a person. To where I feel like that is the most... Uh, that is one of the most earned, those are one of the most earned positions of loyalty that you can have is from people. You, a position isn't earned loyalty, and a principle isn't earned loyalty, but a person is able to earn your loyalty. For Ruth, her decision to stay with her mother-in-law, she was, in that one decision, she was loyal to all three. She was loyal to the, the principle she was standing by of not wanting to leave her mother-in-law alone. She was prince. Uh, she was being loyal to the prince, the position of her mother-in-law, the simple position of her past uh, marriage, and she was loyal to the person of her mother-in-law. 
the what that that was something that she earned and she made a commitment to stay no matter what and showed an enduring example of loyalty by stepping into the unknown head on with no plan b of escape i think that the unknown is what causes people to hesitate the most when it comes to being loyal or commitment y'all dig what i'm saying and it I think the the simplest way and hey look I just want to let y'all know I'm not talking about anyone in particular okay the simple the simplest way that I see the lack of commitment that that in our generation commitment is one of the most absent values of our generation when I invite someone whether it's to church or to an event or even to my house for coffee or dinner one of the most common responses is this yeah, if nothing comes up. <laughs> yeah, I should be there. <laughs> so much hesitation, so much doubt. And and even when I call it, I'm like, what do you mean if something comes up? You're just waiting for something better? <laughs> like, what could come up? Well, nothing, I guess. Do you have any foreseeable plans in the future that that you think might happen? Well, no. Then why don't you just commit? Well, yeah, I should be there. <laughs> The idea of commitment is just so scary. Like I can't. I, I, and th- it's it's almost like in our generation, and I'm I'm talking about our generation. Even when you ask, if you're at Walmart or any store, and you ask somebody, do y'all know if y'all have these in stock, or do y'all know uh, is this how this works? And you ask a question to an employee, and you usually get this kind of response almost every time. I believe so. <laughs> they can't even commit to what they know they know that but it's just so scary to commit even to a response and it this it's like we keep a return policy on everything in our mind we we've been conditioned to the walmart return policy how many of y'all have returned like something that you felt like you should have felt bad about returning to walmart <laughs> I think the worst I ever did, I'll be transparent with you guys. I was young and dumb and reckless, really. And I had this, I feel like this kind of shows me being older than I should be. But I had bought a CD player <laughs> for when I went running. I had eventually, uh, I got a CD player. That sounds crazy. <laughs> a CD player for, to, that I would clip on or hold. I think I would even hold it for when I went running. And I bought a CD player, and then I also bought a, a pull-up bar rack to where you could just go on the door. And I bought one other item. I can't remember what it was. And, and I was right about to move uh, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and I had this stuff for like two months, maybe two and a half months. I was like right on the bridge of that 90-day policy. And within that time, I had used that stuff like crazy. I used it every day. All of the stuff I bought, I, I bought it all at once and I used it every day. To the point where one time I went running and it was dark outside and I had like, I liked to go like freestyle. I wouldn't just run on a track. I'd run through like neighborhoods and stuff. And I had jumped like this fence. It sounds like I wasn't running, but I was running and I started running and it looked just like a, like a, like a small dip. And I realized that it was just uh, a big ravine. <laughs> and I just like literally just fell hip high into water. 
and like the CD player and all, like everything was soaked and I was like, oh crap. And I just finished my run. I didn't, <laughs> but so the, the, it was damaged. Things were used and abused. Okay. And I returned that. I returned all, I got like 90 bucks back. I was like, this is great. I got all the use I wanted out of it and I still returned it. And I've, I asked God for forgiveness and everything. Okay. That was a long time ago. But what I'm getting at is that that idea that we have about returning things well, if I don't like it, I can just return it. It's been like ingrained to every level of our lives, to relationships. Well, you know, if it doesn't work out, you know, we could just break up. Let's move in together first. And then if it doesn't work out, we could always just break up. Y'all get what I'm saying? And it's like this return policy, this return policy has taken away any drive of commitment and it is no wonder why people have never felt so isolated and alone. Because we don't realize that that commitment is what breathes loyalty. And we've conditioned ourselves to have no commitments and thus having no loyal people in our lives. To where when we go through something, we don't even know who to call sometimes. Y'all dig what I'm saying? I have people call me that I haven't talked to in years that will message me randomly like, can you pray for me? I'm going through this and I just don't know who else to talk to. It's like, dude, I don't like, I barely remember your name and there's no one else that you could talk to. But it's because we literally have deprived ourselves of loyalty in our lives from people and relationships because there's no commitment to each other, thus being no loyalty to one another. If, you're, if you break down on the side of the road you, and you wonder, who would I call? Most of us, it, we just, the, if we have an accident, if we have something happen on the road, we would just have to call a tow truck or deal with it ourselves because we can't even think of who would just stop what they're doing and come, come help us at the drop of a hat. You dig what I'm saying? And it takes a strength to do something even when it's hard. It takes commitment to do something even when it's hard. But it is that very kind of commitment that produces the precious jewels that we admire in, in our world. When we see healthy marriages, people, people like love healthy marriages. It's like you've been married for like, like even for me and Lauren, when we say we're married eight years, there's sometimes we were like, wow, that's amazing. Like, I feel like we just got started. <laughs> Because, because there is so, such a lack of commitment that even just eight years seems like a long time. That's a precious jewel. When we think about great promotions, like, man, that guy, that guy earned that promotion. That girl, she earned that spot. And it, that was a precious, that's a precious jewel that we admire from afar, but we never really take the time to appreciate what it is that got them that, that jewel. And it's commitment. They showed up earlier than everybody else. They left, They were the last one to leave. Y'all get what I'm saying? That marriage, they, they lasted because they committed even when it was hard. It's not that they never fight. Except me and Lauren, we never fight, right, babe? <laughs> we fought this morning on the way here, passively, just quiet. <laughs> just joking, or am I? But, <laughs> oh, sorry, babe. <laughs> um, you know, even when it comes to healthy lifestyles. You know, sometimes we look at people that seem super fit, super healthy. And I, I once saw this meme that was like, oh, well, uh, must be nice to have favored genetics. 
And then it showed like a, a clip of that person waking up at 5 a.m. going to go running and work out, making these decisions to, uh, of eating healthy and saying no to this and no to that. And it showed how that what seemed just like easy for them was actually built from their commitments. Y'all get what I'm saying? Everything that we, did, that we admire in this world is achieved and, and granted and, and earned through a loyal commitment to either a principle, a position, or a person. And the most powerful thing that we can admire is powerful spiritual walks with God. I want us to, to take a, a step back and, and look at this idea of no turning back. What I've found as a pastor, I've been doing ministry for 11 years now, and what I've found is that most Christians, when they have the, the, that first moment of conversion to where they give their lives to Christ, a lot of them end up going back into the very place that they were. That Most of them end up having just an emotional episode to where they felt God and they knew that they needed God and God just made them feel better emotionally. And once they got that fix, they ended up just slowly retracting to where they stopped going to church, they stopped reading the Bible, stopped praying, and kind of just stopped having anything to do with God altogether. And it's just like, like God is just like a like kind of that hell insurance in the back of their head. But then when you see people that have this no turning back mentality to where if it doesn't work out, I'm, I'm still going to be here. That's the difference. Those are the people that you see and you, you can genuinely admire their walk with God. To where you just, even when they just like get in the, in the room or in the car, it's almost like you feel a presence about you. You feel different, like there's a different atmosphere around them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And when you think about what makes them so special, it is a committed, loyal heart to their Creator. They, they didn't even do anything exceptional. It's not that they, they fasted for a hundred days and so God likes them more. But it was a, it was a, it's about the fraction of their heart. See, so many of us, even at, at best, we fraction God into 70-30. 30% reserved for, for me, 70% for you at best. And it's rare for us to find someone that's just really no turning back all in when it comes to their God, their Savior. And I remember reading a book called The Fourth Dimension by Dr. Cho. Dr. Cho is, he's, uh, he was a pastor of one of the biggest churches in the world in South, South Korea. At one time, they were holding services where 120,000 people would show up. I imagine it was multiple services. <laughs> and he, get, he wrote this book called The Fourth Dimension, and he talks really about like his story in, in practicing faith. And he talks about how he even his conversion of coming to Christ and how he wasn't a, a, a well-known pastor. He wasn't a, a well-known minister. In fact, the first times that he would even speak to people, people would make fun of him. There was one time where uh, that people started make, uh, uh, making fun of him because he would walk to he would have to walk to the church, or he was he's uh, trying he didn't have a bike to to ride to the church, and he started believing in faith that God was going to give him a bike. And so one day 
he told the people, God has given me a bike in faith. He was trying to speak it as though it were. And then they didn't believe him. And so some of the younger guys showed up at his, at his house and said, where's your bike? <laughs> and he was like, oh man, I'm really, in, like now I'm going to look like a liar. And he said, well, it's right here. It's, and he started explaining that his faith is like a pregnancy, that you can't see the baby, but you know that the baby is there. And that's the way that he was believing for that bike. And so for the next several months, people would make fun of him and little kids would go up to him and poking his belly saying, oh, is it a boy or a girl? <laughs> he talks about how when, he had, when God gave him a vision to, to, uh, to start this church, to grow this church, to build a church building, that it was, it was a vision that where he had, a, there is no plan B says that true faith, real raw faith, has no plan B. It's either going to work or it's not. To the point where he ended up selling his house, with married with kids, selling his house to pay for a down payment on the church building construction. And when the construction was halted, he was, him and his family were sleeping in one of the rooms of the church building that wasn't completed with only three walls. And it was in moments like that to where his commitment had no turning back. His plan B, even when he thought about, like, man, I wish I had a plan B, there was no other option because he positioned his commitment so strong. He talks about how in this book that he started having these thoughts of suicide, that I'm a failure because nothing, I, I, it didn't work. And it is this, again, this is all on the cusp of right before the faith was fulfilled. But he went through all this tragedy on all of these hardships to where he could have just backed out. He could have just given up and just backed out. But his commitment just like glued him to his, this purpose. And he talks about how in this book where he started having thoughts of suicide and wanting to kill himself. And he was, he was fantasizing about getting a gun and killing himself. And he said that he felt like the Holy Spirit said, well, then what will people think about all of your faith? <laughs> and so then he got mad at God and said, God, I can't even kill myself. You won't even let me do that. His commitment was to God was so strong that he, wasn't even, he didn't even want to stifle the faith that was planted in others to where they thought everything he said wasn't true about God because he didn't, that's how committed he was to the gospel message. See, this, this no plan B mentality is a commitment mentality that we are not used to we are not conditioned for it and it is the essence of no turning back and what i would urge you if we could learn anything from this this first chapter of ruth it would be that this is the epitome of loyalty no turning back this is the the maximized level of loyalty no turning back so death do us part. It is stepping into the unknown. While we could be hopeful, if you've been alive long enough, you know that no matter what, things are going to get hard. Even when things are good, things will eventually get hard. And stepping into the unknown, you can be hopeful. But once things start hitting against you, it's your decision of loyalty to stand in a way of commitment that says no turning back. And so I want us to all close our eyes and bow our heads. And we looked at a lot of imagery today 
shared a lot of stories, and looked at a lot of people when it came to this idea about loyalty. And we talked about the sacrifice that loyalty beckons. We talked about the freedom that fosters authentic loyalty. And we talked about commitment, the backbone and longevity of true loyalty. And what I pray is that this message would edify every single one of us to start practicing deeper level of loyalty in our lives with our relationships, with our workplaces, with our principles, and especially with God. And what I also pray is that even now you would start having moments and your eyes opened and highlighted to the people that have showed you great loyalty. The greatest loyalty that we have ever received is from Jesus. The Bible says that even while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He was that loyal to his creation that even in our rebellion against God, he made a way. And when he went to the cross, there's a moment when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane when they were about to take him away. And Peter cut off from that high priest servant's ears. And Jesus stopped him and said, Don't you think that I can call on a legion of angels to come and take me away? To protect me? To save me from this hour? But then you wouldn't be saved. See, in that moment, he kept his commitment of loyalty to you, to me, to the world, to the point of the biggest sacrifice ever made. And even in that sacrifice, he displayed the freedom to choose for every human being in the world, even though that sacrifice was so great. His commitment to us was outstanding. And he shows us the perfect example of what loyalty is. And if you're here right now and you're, you hear this message, I want to first ask if you're just feeling your heart tugging and saying, I need to respond to this act of loyalty Jesus showed me. And I need to respond. And I need to trust in him. And if that's you and you need to do that for the very first time, or maybe you need to just recommit to that. With every head bowed and eye closed, I want you to just raise your hand. See your hand. I want you to just have a moment where you talk to Jesus right where you're at. And I want you to ask God, everyone here, ask God, help me to see you on the cross the way that I need to see you. Give me a deeper revelation of your sacrifice, of what you endured for me. Because I want to commit to you. I want to have a no turning back moment with you, Jesus. Help me to get there. For the rest of all of us, I want us to just have a moment where you're asking God, what are you trying to speak to me in this message today? 
Ask God, what are you trying to teach me, talk to me about when it comes to loyalty? God, I thank you for every person here, and I pray that you finish what you started in each of our lives, and that you just show yourself strong. I know that you are calling us to deeper levels of commitment, that you're calling some of us to, to deeper levels of sacrifice, calling all of us to experience your freedom. And I pray that you just compel a deeper faith today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, online church. We love you. Have a great rest of your life. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.